Welcome to In The Know, a podcast hosted by Caitlin Dager and Samara Delmenico, where we take a deep dive into the boring stuff to bridge the gap between the law and young people. In other words, giving you your legally blonde moment. I object. Just a quick content warning for today's episode. This episode deals with issues of sexual assault and may be distressing for some listeners. Hello and welcome to episode five. Gosh, time's going really fast. Yeah. (laughs) Today we are actually going to be doing something a little bit different to what you've probably got used to over the last four weeks. And we're exploring the very topical gag laws that came into effect on the 7th of February this year. But first, Samara, how was your week? My week was pretty good. I went to the gym for the first time this week since lockdown ended, so I was absolutely thrilled. And when this episode airs, I will be on the way to New South Wales to visit my parents and my siblings. So I'm absolutely thrilled about that. Yeah, after how many days? Over 200 now? Yeah, yeah. Since June, I think it was. The start of June. So crazy. Yeah, I'm very excited. My news for this week is also gym related. (laughs) I went to my first ever body attack class and I was pretty skeptical, but the trainer was super, super enthusiastic. Yeah. I died a little bit, not hugely, but a bit, but I walked away with that real kind of feel good for the day gym vibes because she just, she was just loving it and it made me love it too. Yeah, it's, it's super dancey as well. Mm. So I think that helps. Yay! Okay. Thank you everyone to your responses to last week's episode. I'm glad to hear the stories of the few of you who have had some rental successes post listening, which is the aim of this entire podcast. As always, please DM us any feedback, questions, future topic ideas, anything at all, and we will happily abide. Share us on your stories because we love to see how you're listening. Moving into this week's content, we're going to run this episode, as we said, a little bit differently. We will be foregoing the fun fact and the usual question and answer format because we think that today's topic not only deserves our utmost respect and attention, but it's a really, really valuable one to talk about and we want to do it really carefully. To start off with a little bit of an introduction or quick summary of what we're planning to talk about today, the relevant legislation we're talking about is the Judicial Proceedings Report Act. And the relevant amendments are those which were silently introduced on the 7th of February 2020. These amendments had the overarching goal of protecting sexual assault survivors from being identified in the media. You have probably heard them being referred to as the gag laws. And essentially, they make it an offence for sexual assault survivors in Victoria to publish their own names as well as others, such as the media, to publish their identity or information that could lead to the identification of a victim-survivor if proceedings are pending or a conviction is in place. The exception here is where the victim-survivor seeks and is granted a court order from the relevant court. This basically puts the onus on the victim-survivor and it can be really, really expensive and quite overwhelming. We're going to take a deep dive into these amendments, how they came about, and the overwhelming negative response to them. But essentially, these laws, like many others in the past, is one of those scenarios where they didn't have the intended effect, which was protecting victim survivors, but rather they had the effect of silencing them. Yeah. So as we said, these 
laws were quietly introduced in February. However, the media outrage really exploded into the mainstream in August this year, with various advocates and organisations such as Let Us Speak leading the movement. We'll talk about Let Us Speak in a moment, but essentially the reason we're talking about this today is because the amendments have been recently canned on 18 of November this year. And in the process, it's actually given sexual assault survivors more agency than they've ever had before. This is a really, really valuable topic and one we're really excited to explore because it shows the effect of a group of people on the law. And essentially, this is what we plan to do with this podcast. We have really found our passion for the law and its use in situations of social justice. And so this episode is one which is really close to our hearts. We had another episode planned for this week, actually, and we had recorded it. But when we saw the news come out about the change in the gag laws, we said to each other, this is why we started the podcast. We want to be the ones to take the things you might not necessarily understand, but it's really important for you. Read all the articles, look at the legislation and collate it into an easy to understand and digestible piece. This is super, super, super vital and it's a really interesting topic, so of course we wanted to cover it. Okay, on to the boring stuff then. Yay! We'll begin at the very, very beginning, set the scene and run you through the legislative framework. As we mentioned, the act we're talking about is the Judicial Proceedings Report Act. And for ease of reference, we're going to refer to it as the act throughout this episode. The amendments, the gag laws which took effect on 7 February 2020. So Samara, do you want to run us through the Act itself? The Act is complex and plays a key role in the protection of sexual assault survivors who do not want to be identified in media reports about their cases. I think it's important to note here that some of these provisions are long-standing and are vital in protecting sexual assault victims and survivors who do not want to be identified. It's really important to note that. However, the problematic part are these amendments, which were made by the Andrews government earlier this year. And in an attempt to improve the strength of these protections, they actually had the entirely opposite effect. And in practice, the amendment leads to sexual assault victims essentially being silenced from telling their story to their detriment. So under the seven Feb amendments, sexual assault survivors had to obtain a court order to publish their own identity in the media, including social media. In addition, this applied not only to cases in which proceedings were currently underway, but also those where a conviction had already been recorded. A conviction here means that the perpetrator was found guilty of the offence in question. So to be able to tell their stories, victim survivors had to go back through the court system again, which is not only a significant financial burden, but also caused the victim survivor to continue to have to revisit this trauma and potentially cause further harm in the process. I also found it interesting that people who had identified themselves previously also had to go through this process. Yeah, so just on that note there, to talk about really the gravity of this, All that information that came out about the Catholic Church in the last couple of years Mm -hmm. and all the victim survivors in there and the media attention, all of that essentially would have been stifled. Yeah, you would have seen Jill Maher's name knocked around quite a lot as well. Their identities, including not only their name, but any sort of description of them that would 
help anyone put two and two together mm. was was completely gone. So essentially, really silenced. Yeah, and the critique was scathing as well. Mm. Also, just to round off this part before we go into the specific sections in question, if a survivor did not want to go through this court order process, they risked a penalty of $3,304 or up to four months jail time, or in some instances, it could be both. That's pretty intense for naming yourself, even on social media. Mm Mm-hmm. Turning our attention back to the legislation, the specific section that actually relates to the gag laws is section 4, subsection 1, capital A. Yes, it is a mouthful. And this relates generally to the publishing of the names. Then we move to section 4, subsection 2, which has the penalty. We've spoken about the process of legislation going through the parliaments in one of our previous bite-sized episodes. But In that, we didn't actually go through one vital part of it, I guess, which is the second reading speech. It's not really necessary to speak about the process behind it, but it's just important because it's one of the many facets that is used to discuss the real intention behind the legislation. Basically, it's just a supplementary tool to help understand what an act means. And we had a look at this in relation to the gag laws and found some very questionable a controversial and personally, I'm not sure about you, Samara, but I find it pretty hypocritical. So the second reading speech was undertaken by Jill Hennessy, and she is our Attorney General. Just for context, an Attorney General is someone who is responsible for the advising of the government on improving the legal system. This includes providing advice on general government policy relating to the law and the courts, as well as recommendations for law reform. And Jill Hennessy is the one who does it here. We've picked out some really key quotes from the second reading speech that we think just shows the hypocrisy and perhaps even the lack of foresight a little bit. It it seems like they couldn't look out of their collective experiences to understand the kind of impact that this would have on survivors and the, the type of pain that this would bring. Just on that too, sorry, we will get into the actual quotes in a second. It's super interesting as well here to think that these were silently introduced amendments, which we haven't researched this part, but we can definitely go back and do it if you'd like to hear what we come up with. But in terms of the initial research that goes into making these reforms, it's usually not something that's undertaken lightly or something Mm. that is done quickly. So I'd be really interested to see how they came up with this construction of the law when their intention seems to almost be in opposition to what they actually released. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting talking about timeline because as we'll speak about a little bit later, the key advocacy groups only started murmuring about this in April 2020. So there's a full two months in between this law coming into action and anything actually happening. Now on to those quotes from Miss Hennessy. Firstly, she states in the second reading speech that open justice is a fundamental principle of the Victorian legal system. And she says it's essential to public confidence in our legal system. She also goes on to talk about transparency, promoting accountability. Let's just hold that for a second. Here we're talking about open justice being fundamental and essential to our public confidence. If we then take that statement and look at the actual law in place, you just can't put two and two together. 
No, it, it's a bit of cognitive dissonance, right? They're, they're just completely different. It stops this open justice occurring because people cannot speak about it without it being first consented to behind closed doors nearly. Yeah, and I mean, try to create a meaningful discourse about a crime that's been committed and its social inflections if you can't even talk about the detail of the crime because it might identify the victim. And even on that, Samara, what media company will report on a case of sexual assault where they don't have the facts of the case? It would be one identified person with no identifying features and another to even potentially talk about the specific facts of the case could be contravention of this gag law. Yeah, it's quite stifling. Mm. She goes on to say, when someone is found guilty of a crime, open justice ensures the offender is publicly accountable for their conduct. It vindicates the rights of their victims as well as the values of the general public. People who are victims of crimes should also be able to tell their story. For some, this can be an important part of their recovery. Can I just stop you there for a moment, Samara? What's really interesting is she acknowledges that being able to tell your story is an important part of a victim survivor's recovery. And that's essentially the entire premise of the Let Us Speak movement and campaign. Yeah. So I just, I don't, I just don't understand how they came to this construction of the law. No, it, it seems ridiculous that that could be a logical conclusion. Yeah. It seems illogical. To avoid being too one-sided and only pick out quotes that are damning to this speech, she does acknowledge that there are some situations where publishing information about a court case can be unfair or risk harming victims or other parties. So I guess the intention of the legislation is clear. Its construction just hasn't properly reflected that. No, it seems to be lacking. Also, just as a final note, I found this slightly amusing. Is that a bad thing to say? That she mentions here the process in this bill for victims to apply to lift a suppression order or publication restriction has been made as simple as possible. We're going to talk about the leading case here in Victoria for the new reforms and the argument against these gag laws. But just to go over that briefly, it costed this individual tens of thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. and eight months of vicious legal battles to get her name or her suppression order lifted. So I just... I don't know. I just can't put two and two together here. Yeah, I think even from a common sense perspective, having to go to a lawyer, make these applications, go to court, it's a very stressful process. I mean, we both work in it. It's stressful for people who don't even have this traumatic event in their history. And not to mention probably pre... Well, in almost all cases, will have previously gone through the court system yeah. for this criminal charge. Yeah. Like, I just... Yeah, it, it's just mind-blowing. I'm, it's disappointing. I feel disappointed. Mm. This this is one of those situations where I feel like our legal system and our... Lawmakers. Our lawmakers have really let us down. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, though, it, it is reassuring in some respect to be able to talk about what has happened and see that there's been a positive change. So Mm -hmm. as we'll talk about, there has been reforms and, you know, they have been more positive than what sexual assault survivors have had in the past, but it just really sucks that we have to go through this to get there. So then, Samara, I guess the next part in this timeline is bringing in some of our key players. This includes Nina Funnell, a journalist and the founder of the Hashtag Let Us Speak campaign. As a bit of a backstory on Nina and the campaign... 
The Let Her Speak campaign was first launched in 2018 with Nina at its helm. In support of a single sexual assault survivor in Tasmania who wanted her right to tell her story under her real name. Since then, the campaign has successfully fought to reform archaic sexual assault victim gag laws in both Tasmania and the Northern Territory. Just a side note here, both the gag laws in the NT and in Tassie were revoked and replaced before Mm -hmm. the Victorian gag laws came in. So just another one of those situations where I I just cannot understand what what was going through their mind. Even from a cost perspective, mm-hmm. why would you why would you even bother? Sorry, back on track. Earlier this year, Nina was approached by Jamie Lee Page, a survivor fighting to tell her story in the wake of the introduction of these Victorian gag laws. We will discuss Jamie Lee's story and her involvement in a moment, but essentially together, Nina and Jamie Lee launched a sister campaign called Let Us Speak. As more survivors have joined the campaign, the hashtag Let Us Speak has been adopted to be inclusive of all survivors of all genders, and they set up a GoFundMe account to support the campaign. Additionally, it's important to note that this Victorian Let Us Speak campaign is a collaboration between End Rape on Campus Australia, Mark Lawyers, and Rape and Sexual Assault Research and Advocacy Initiative. Together, they have done something really, really, really special. Back to Nina. Nina Funnell was quoted in Mamma Mia to describe the significant issues with this law. And she stated as follows. The nature of rape is that it robs power and control and agency and voice from you. So when you have laws which silence you, it extends and exasperates all those feelings of powerlessness, vulnerability, voicelessness, defeat and trauma. So this law, this gag rule that was in place, was daily re-traumatising the survivors in the campaign who couldn't speak. I think that it's a really, really powerful quote and it absolutely speaks for itself. Let Us Speak launched their campaign and their GoFundMe account in August 2020. Within 48 hours, they had gone viral. They had made such a splash that... Miss Hennessy gave the following statement to ABC's Hack, saying that when changing the laws in February, there was no intention to introduce new restrictions for survivors who want to share their stories. She was quoted saying, I'm aware of the concerns raised by the victims and advocacy groups regarding the effect of these reforms and have asked the Department of Justice and Community Safety to urgently look at whether the further changes are needed to ensure they're effective. So as a result of this advocacy by Let Us Speak and the referral from Miss Hennessy to the Department of Justice and Community Safety, our policymakers came out with the Justice Legislation Amendment Supporting Victims and Other Matters Bill 2020, introduced into the Legislative Assembly in October 2020. For ease, we'll refer to this one as the Draft Bill. It seeks to amend a number of provisions in existing legislation, but we're just going to focus on the amendments in relation to publishing the identities of sexual assault victims and survivors. Again, referring to the second reading speech here, which was delivered on 14 October 2020 by the Attorney General, Miss Hennessy. She explained that the government has listened to victim survivors who have movingly and compellingly told us current processes are not working for them. 
she expressed that the bill would make it easier for victim survivors of sexual offences to speak publicly about their experiences and control when and how these stories are published by others. It seems to be in complete contrast to the operation of the previous act. And I think here too, they're really focusing on that victim survivor and them having the ability to tell their story. I think what was really lacking in that initial, the gag laws and the Mm. second reading speech there is that identification of... They were making a lot of assumptions about what survivors should and shouldn't be able to do without taking into account that the survivors should be able to be the ones to make that decision. Yeah. I think that those initial laws and that initial second reading speech didn't give enough emphasis or... I guess, credit to victim survivors who have fought so hard to get their agency back. Mm -hmm. So, tangents aside, the Victorian government released a parliamentary paper which gives a fantastic overview of what has gone into this draft bill, and it covers topics such as the impact of victims speaking out, the changes to the legislation, the second reading speech, and proposed reforms. Importantly, it also considers responses to the draft bill, including that of Let Us Speak. It's a really interesting read, and we're not just saying that. It really is. And surprisingly, it's super accessible and not all legalistic in wording. Yeah, it was quite digestible, and we'll include a link to it in our show notes if you want to have a read. But taking you back to the Let Us Speak movement. On the 27th of August 2020, End Rape on Campus Australia, Rape and Sexual Assault Research and Advocacy and Mark Lawyers released a position statement which runs through their support and concerns for the draft bill. This is the one that the parliamentary paper refers to. Mm -hmm. They acknowledge that they support the government's commitment to restoring agency there's that word again Mm -hmm. to survivors to make their own choices regarding the publication of their identities they acknowledge that the draft bill still includes several problematic provisions which they explored over this three-page document we aren't going to delve too far into this statement or its provisions but the let us speak movement along with their partnered organizations other advocacy and Jamie Lee Page have been instrumental in pushing these amendments through and getting that agency back into our law. Mm, I think it, it's really, really powerful that only a few weeks ago we wouldn't have even been allowed to say Jamie Lee's name. Further than that, we wouldn't have even known her. Her story wouldn't have been told and... Yeah, well, she's been publishing it this whole time under a pseudonym of Maggie and to finally come it must be so cathartic for her to be able to finally identify with that story because it has her name on it as we mentioned jamie lee page has been such a key player in victoria and has recently had this huge huge legal victory in regards to identifying herself as we spoke about jamie lee page approached journalist nina funnel in april 2020 commencing an eight-month legal battle for jamie lee to be able to identify herself Eight months. I just... Just to tell her story. During this time, Jamie Lee had been working closely with Mark Lawyers as well. And we have a really interesting quote from managing partner Michael Bradley, who said, At that stage, the Victorian courts were not even aware that this law had come in. It was an illogical, incoherent mess. They had no process to even deal with her request to obtain an exemption. Do we really need to comment any further? That's pretty damning. By June 2020, they began the process of applying for an exemption order. They were shocked to 
learned that Jamie Lee needed to seek her rapist permission to use her own name. By Jamie Lee's own words, giving him the power and control again. I was absolutely blown away when I read that. I I, I can feel my insides churning. Mm-hmm. Just I just, gosh, the yeah. government here. Yeah, it, it gives me ugh, little tears. Across June and July, multiple letters outlining the legal reality of the botched law were sent to the government on Jamie Lee's behalf. By August, with still no commitment forthcoming from the government to reform the gag law, Jamie and a fellow sexual assault survivor bravely decided that they would front a Victorian-specific campaign. Later that month, That's Why Let Us Speak was launched, and with 48 hours, it had gone viral. Just... Sorry, just on this, I just wanted to make a quick note here. And I guess this is something for you guys to think about as well as us. Do we think that if this campaign hadn't have gone viral, if Jamie Lee Page and mm. other victim survivors hadn't stuck their neck out in yeah. and into this re-traumatizing space, mm-hmm. that the government would have ever responded? Mm-hmm. Because prior to this launch and this, this viral commitment to this change, the government didn't have any sort of commitment or any sort of, I guess, true acknowledgement of, of the detrimental effect these laws were having. Yeah, it, it kind of sounds to me that they just brought it in and skipped off into the sunset, really. It scares me. It really scares me. And it, it's not like we're talking about little matters. We're not talking about, you know... Increasing the cost of a driving offence. Exactly. We are talking about really, really awful traumatic experiences and making these people live it over and over again how is that helpful and why does the government get to make that decision yeah if survivor victims who are affected by these laws who have lived through these these systems and these these terrible circumstances have come out and said hey this is wrong and we need to discuss change is the the government to tell them that they can't Getting back on track again, this landmark case cost tens of thousands of dollars, as we said, and was finally decided on 17 November 2020. So much for ease of access and simple processes to get your exemption order in place as per the Attorney General in her first second reading speech. Thanks, Jill, for nothing. On this day, Jamie tweeted, hashtag let us speak, so I did. I'm the woman that they couldn't silence, and today I stand with each and every survivor out there. This is a victory for all of us. Our voices matter. My sister's life mattered. My name is Jamie Lee Page, and I'm a sexual assault survivor. What's your superpower? Gives me goosebumps. Yeah, it it just... It's powerful. It's really moving. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The project released a really fantastic and powerful piece on Jamie Lee and her story. I watched it in the preparation for this episode and it was absolutely fantastic i very very highly recommend that you check it out it's only 10 minutes and we'll chuck the link in the show notes jamie lee's case victory here to reveal her name also procured the landmark law reforms to restore this agency voice and identity to tens of thousands of sexual assault victim survivors So for the final part of this episode, we're going to talk about those reforms, which came into effect just under a week ago on the 18th of November, 2020. After months of campaigning, the reform, which has been dubbed as Jamie's Law, now gives sexual assault victim survivors the ability to self-publish their own identity or to speak to the media under their real names. If they're over 18, provide consent in writing, have decision-making capacity to give consent, 
and do not identify other survivors without permission. I think what's really key here, and you can see how they've listened, but also kept some element of protection and safeguard that they were intending with those initial laws, through that caveat on do not identify other survivors without permission. So those that don't want to be identified, and there will be ones that do, still have that safeguard in the legislation. Yeah, and I think having decision-making capacity is also really important because, you know, you could have someone uh, speak out on social media that doesn't necessarily have the ability to do so. So I think it is an important, you know, little caveat that they have put there, but uh, such, such a good outcome that sexual assault survivor victims can now self-publish. And for the first time in Australia, adult survivors will also have the power to tailor their consent. So this includes limiting which details they share and to which media companies they want to share that information to. So that agency, I keep coming back to it, this Mm. is the agency that they were seeking and we've now got a successful outcome for them. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. And for those people under 18, they're able to self-publish their own identity provided that they don't identify any other victim and they also need to seek a letter from a registered medical practitioner or psychologist if they wish to be named in mainstream media or other publications. It, it really is a huge change. It just gives the power back to those victim survivors. Mm. That That's all I'm reading here. And this sounds like a law that the relevant people have been spoken to about and a collaborative effort has been made. So I think, I think it just sounds reasonable. Like, mm. I, if you look at this in comparison to what the law was brought in on the 7th, 7th of February, February, there's absolutely no it's confusing how you can go from one extreme to the other when this sounds so reasonable with the necessary protections. So I guess that brings us to the end of this episode and the too long didn't read is kind of not something I want to discuss today. I think I don't think you can put this in a a tiny little box. I think the whole story is really important. But as a final reflection, I think this is a really powerful win for sexual assault victim survivors but also has restored a lot of faith in the legal system, which I lost in those initial stages of research here, to know that the people still do have the power. Mm. And that democratic way that we govern and our lawmakers make laws still plays out just as well today as it was when it was first brought in with, with our constitution, essentially. Yeah, and I think, you know, they're not always going to get it right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe maybe they should always get it right. Maybe they should have consulted the relevant bodies, you know, survivors, psychologists more when making the original legislation. But, you know, it it is so powerful to see that eventually we got there and hopefully next time laws like this are brought in, the government will know that people are going to stand up and revolt if it's not right. So do it right the first time. Yeah, the accountability is definitely here in this instance. Mm -hmm. So now you're in the know. Thank you so much for listening through this episode. Like we said at the start, this was really powerful and important for us to do, and we hope you feel the same coming out of it. Just as a final note, though, here, if you or someone you know is experiencing sexual abuse or family violence, we're going to list a whole bunch of the different 24-hour services and helplines which are available in our show notes. The main one is the National Sexual Assault Domestic Violence Counselling Service and they can be contacted on 1800 RESPECT. That's 1800 737 732. All sources from today's episode are in the show notes. 
As always, the things we discuss on this podcast are general in nature, so please seek legal advice if this has brought up anything for you at all. And just to add to that, we have obviously expressed our opinions pretty freely and obviously throughout this episode. So again, this is obviously not the position of the government, of the victim survivors, the Let Us Speak campaign, or anything in connection to them. If you have a different viewpoint or would like to discuss it with us further, absolutely get in touch. You can send us an email or visit our website. We're more than happy to hear everyone's points of views because we think this is a really meaningful discussion, one that really needs to be had. And to finish us off, we are a tiny independent podcast recording this together, this time in my walk-in wardrobe. Your support in getting our names out there is what is going to keep us going. Please, please, please subscribe on your favorite pod streaming service. Leave us a review and follow us on Instagram at in the know underscore podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. We really appreciate it. Have a good week.